Okay. No one. Oh, uh, no one in it I've heard of except for Lee Pace. He's a good actor. He's a footballer, isn't he? Um, I think you're thinking of Peter Beardsley. Um, <laughs> um, Lee Pace, he may end up being in the bar as well. He's got a, oh, he's really? a, he's a decade or two, yeah. <clears throat> well, speaking of which, that's a good introduction point, actually, because um, welcome to Kingdom Kingdom 61. Uh, and this reminded me that um, we were talking offline about the the bar that we reference all the time of the the hot older men uh, that that frequent the bar in, in different capacities. You've got your <clears throat> you've got your George Clooney's and your Brad Pitts, but then you've also got your David Strathairns and, uh, and and many others. And we were trying to think of a name for the bar. And I was thinking like Salt and Pepper. Uh, we had Silver Screen, and then. Laszlo Buckets kicked the doors to our minds open and said, why don't you call it the Arkins Bar? And I thought, <laughs> well, uh, sometimes sometimes fate writes itself. I'm uh, not sure. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes someone texts us. <laughs> and, and says, why well, don't you just call it Arkins Bar? Yeah. I think the, 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 the term, well, fate writes itself is sort of self-fulfilling, really, isn't it? Because it's fate. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's pretty tied down. Um, yeah, unfortunately, Lee Pace is only 43, so let's give it 10 years. And then, <clears throat> and then we're allowed to fancy him. Actually, he can, so, he can uh, wait outside in the car smoking fags. Let me, let me have a look at um, Lee Pace. Will I know his face? No, around. Probably. Rupert, I don't know about this. I'm looking at a picture. He doesn't look real. I mean, if you type in Lee Pace into Google, and it's the second image that comes up, the first one he's wearing like a, a transparent top. Uh, looks like he's just pissed in a field. But then the second one, he just looks like a composite. Like aliens have created a human man using AI technology, but we're quite sure how it worked. His eyebrows don't—they're like too big for his face. His eyebrows, like eyebrows are astonishing. He—he he looks like a composite <clears throat> of sexy men. That's what he looks like. So there's a touch of John Hamm in there, isn't there? A touch of John Hamm. Yeah. <laughs> touch of John. You know that like touching John would be the kind of film that would just like. I know I'd cry at some point, but I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Me touching John, like he's never—he's never felt the touch of another human being in his life. Yeah, there will be a moment when disease. when like someone like just brush it. Yeah, we they they think they've cured him of this this disease, and then and the hand is a really close camera shot of a hand like quivering, the mother's hand quivering, and just yeah. just gently brushing his cheek, and and there's that, <gasps> <laughs> and then I start crying, and then I think, why did I watch this film? Well, I, I knew even, I'd cry. I can even visualize the trailer now, like really stirring music, and the last shot of the trailer would be someone's hand edging closer to his and then it would cut just before and then and then the words touching john would come up on the screen you're thinking oh is anyone actually going to touch john in the film i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to pay 14 quid and travel to the cinema to find out (laughs) Uh, yeah and then it would it would say and then it would fade out as like the mother's hand reaches out and his eyes close and then in a world (laughs) where a man can't be touched on the jib But he can't even be touched on his heel and pace. I really want to find out the exact moment when trailers stopped having like a voiceover to explain stuff in them. Because I wonder what the because f- it, it was 
previously trailers literally every single trailer would have a voiceover it would usually be that one guy and you know it'd just be explaining the plot points and stuff you know getting you intrigued there must have been one trailer which started up uh, which started off the trend of just no voiceover because now it would be ridiculous to have a voiceover you wouldn't even consider it you know you have the voiceover is just snippets of dialogue from the film or some stirring speech that someone's going to make over the top whilst no. whilst i tell you what's the most annoying thing that's been going on in trailers for a good good long while now is um taking like a classic rock song or something and putting like an orchestra over the top and having it so that the images are cut to the rhythm of it it's really irritating and it keeps happening and it has we're gonna, to stop we're gonna come come back to that after, in a bit okay. later on when i talk about thor love and thunder um yeah, we, yeah i um I think the the trend in trailers that's really got on my nerves recently, I say recently, <laughs> several years, is um is having like a ship's foghorn, and then people looking back over the shoulders like at something that we as the viewer can't see, as if they're like, oh my god, mm. what's what's that? And then uh, and then other people looking round or looking at each other and frowning as if, oh my god. And it's like think, the Hans Zimmer blarping sound, isn't it? <laughs> It's horrible. It, it seems everywhere. What was really interesting the other day, um, as you know, my, my brother Transvaal has been giving me these DVDs, a couple of which I'll talk about today from charity shops that he's picked up. Good. And of course, I, I've watched streaming services for so long that it's almost bizarre to to watch a DVD and, and the mechanics that come with watching physical media, like putting it on and sometimes sometimes you're straight up there and it's just to the yeah. menu and you're like, oh, okay, so I can, I can, I can press play or I can look at the scene selection. Okay. Um, and, and the other thing is like something that'll just kick on with trailers and yeah. this, I, the trailer just started the other day on a film I watched last night, actually, which I'll talk about. And um, it was just, it was clearly Sam Neill's voice. And I thought, Oh, and then all these actors came up that I knew on this film. And I thought, what is this? This must be from like 2011 or 2012 or something. And then I thought, I've never heard of this film, but all these like famous actors are in it. And then it kind of, the, the title kind of came up and it was called like Adventurer Call of the Future. And I thought, what? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I just wonder how many of those films that they would be where, you know, you start, you put a DVD from like, I don't know, 2000 to 2012, I guess, when streaming kicked off or whatever. And just how many, how many films you'd even recognize or have heard of. Yeah, yeah. It just slipped without a trace. It was quite interesting to think. I've never heard of this film. I've never heard anyone mention it. And I fancy Sam. He's in the bar. In fact, he's, he's got shit is in the bar. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, obviously, you're going to go and hunt that down on a streaming service now. Uh, yeah. Call of the Future, whatever it's called. It, it was called Adventurer. And then it was four words. And I, I thought it was just called. It was looked like it was a lot of. Oh, Sam Neill has got like Midas box. So um, everything he touches turns to a Spandau ballet single. It's <laughs> um, really impractically. It's like, I really thought I'd get rich off this, but it's just irritated more than anything else. Um, yeah, and so the other thing I wanted to talk about before we went into the episode proper was <clears throat> I was um, at a particularly stressful day the other day, and uh, Faye said to me, why didn't you like just lie down for 20 minutes and listen to... Um, listen to like a relaxation i say tape you know what i mean like on on uh, on spotify relaxation guided meditation thing and i thought no you know i will actually it's been a pretty full-on day and i lay in bed <coughs> sorry i lay in bed and like put it on and i was just listening to this woman's voice saying you know relax and 
everything is happy. You feel fantastic. I was like, oh, I did, I'm quite tired actually. <laughs> and as I was kind of like between realms, and my eyes were like flicking back in my head, like the woman at the start of Mission Impossible Three. I um, I, I she she said, imagine you're on a fluffy cloud, and if you can't imagine that then imagine that you've got the capacity to imagine that you're on a fluffy cloud. And I thought, hang on now. And they actually like woke me out of my slumber. I thought, you, so I, you, you're talking to someone who doesn't have the, the like mental sort of um, creativity to imagine themselves lying on a cloud. But so then you're asking them to, to like remove them one step further than that. And they say, if you can't imagine that, just imagine a vision of yourself that could envisage that you know like, oh i want no so yeah it was yeah, it was so that it, it doesn't make any logical sense does it because if if you can't imagine it in the first place how would you better imagine being someone who could imagine it or you just imagining what it's like to be generally a person with imaginative thoughts but then in order to imagine what it's like to be someone with imaginary thoughts you need to have some imagination of your own. <clears throat> so it, it logically it doesn't make sense. It's it's a it's a, a like a Mobius loop. It would be like um in the Queen King's speech if the, the the speech therapist walked up to Colin Firth and said, I know you've got a bit of a stutter, but if you thought of maybe instead of going through these months of speech therapy, me just imagine a virtual doppelganger of yourself that doesn't have a stutter. It's like oh hang on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, w- I was thinking about this the other day, the, the King's Speech. It was one of those films I, I have no intention to see, quite frankly. And uh-huh. I just I just imagined a sequel called The King's Breath, where it would just be like him saying, uh, Jeeves, come here, I need to speak to you. And, oh, can, can I stay over here? No, come closer. I, You know, I like to talk to you <laughs> when our noses are touching. And he's just got this foul breath, and it's two hours of people just like that. <coughs> Whenever the king talks to them, and at the end, it's just like, look, please, please clean your teeth. And it would culminate in a speech of him gathering, gathering all of his people together, all, all in a semicircle, like quite far away from him because of his breath. And him saying, some people believe in ghosts. Some people believe in heaven. Some people believe in themselves. I believe I have no intention of cleaning my teeth and then everyone just like applauds and that's it. I don't think it would be as well received, but no. the, the king's <laughs> breath. <laughs> it should be made. It should be made, really. Um, so with that, it's on to the Arkans, though. <clears throat> yes, um, which was Wesley Snipes to Jamie Lee Curtis or vice versa. Yeah, uh, uh, it's what was interesting about this one is um, I'm assuming you've done it, have you? Yes. Yeah, uh, we really I think we, we shook the cage when we talked about like it was like Meg Tilly to Marlon Brando, <laughs> whatever it was, and um, people were like, what, 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 what? So this is and we brought it like back up to speed. Chickened out is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, pussies. And but we've had a few responses for this one. I'm not going to lie to you. Some of them are the same. So, do you want to do yours first, and then I'll I'll do the yeah, interviewers, let's see if the listeners. The same as mine. Uh, okay, so Wesley Snipes is in Coming to America or Coming to America Two, with Eddie Murphy, who's in Trading Places with Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, that is one that was sent in. Okay. So 
Yeah, we've had um, Ben, Here Comes the Two-Stepper, Wesley Snipes is in Coming to America, as in the second one, with Eddie Murphy, who was in Trading Places with Jamie Lee Curtis. All right. Yeah, yeah, and then Max said, it's, it's really, uh, it's real shorthand. This is, it's like JLC, that's Jamie Lee Curtis, was in True Lies with Arnie, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, was in Expendables 3, question mark, but correct, with Wesley, and he says, Wesley Noxima Jackson Snipes. And I thought I, I, di- I didn't get that reference, but then he pointed out to me that it's his character name in Tu Wong Fu. Oh really? <laughs> so I thought I, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing Noxima right. Um, Utah Smith came in with the same thing. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was in True Lies with Arnie. He was in, in Expendables Three with Wesley Snipes, and. Laszlo Buckets came hurtling in with, yo, I can think of a couple of two-steppers, which makes me wonder if there's a one-stepper lurking out there. Mm. Anyway, I'm going for Wesley Snipes, who's in Coming to America 2, with Eddie Murphy, who's in Trading Places with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Well, that's good. There's a nice palate cleanser. Now we need to get back to the real toughies. <sighs> yeah, <clears throat> the, real, the real tough ones. It, it we get back like... to the third Tilly sister, Brian and, and Tilly. <laughs> Brian Tilly. Um, the just to say as well, just for the, the I know it's pretty loose rules, but for the Arkansas, if 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 you know it's like I don't know, say um, just think it's like Natalie Portman to Chris Hemsworth, then if you don't know who one of the people you know who they are, you can look online and get like a starting point, like recognize them and get a film, or just look at a film thing. Right, I know that film and go from there, because otherwise people just can't play it. So yeah. that's no fun. Certainly, I mean, certainly people have asked. Oh, I'm not. Not sure who that person is, um, but it's like you probably would know them if you saw them. So look at a picture, and it will trigger all sorts in your mind. Yeah. Especially if you choose someone like Dennis Franz. Is that? <laughs> oh, that guy. Ah, <laughs> uh, him, yes. Uh, the bloke from Die Hard to Die Harder. Um, so yeah, I guess now I'm just looking at my little list of things, and yeah, I think it's down to the, the meat and potatoes of the podcast, which is. The movies. Um, I what feel, movies they are. Um, actually, do you know what? Would you have, because this I've been wanting to talk about this for a while now, would you object to me kicking off? No, go crack on. Okay. I just want to talk about Tenet. Um, ah. The 2020, <laughs> the fact you side then, Christopher Nolan film. <clears throat> because I enjoyed, and I've actually remembered the name of it for the first time ever, Inception. I, yes. I enjoyed it because it was a visually arresting. It was a story that I was led to believe going into it, and I went into it quite late, that was like multi-layered and quite complex. So I went in there thinking, right, I'm going to have to really pay attention to this. But I, I kind of locked with how it worked, and I enjoyed it, and I think I covered it on the podcast about a year ago. And, and crucially, it can be enjoyed even if you can't quite follow it, because within each sort of level, you basically understand what this what the immediate stakes are and you know, yeah, yeah. stylish and and uh, the action scenes are cool. So, yeah. And I, I know one of the problems you had with it was um, on like a, a slightly sort of um, more granular level was that um, one of the characters existed to, I think it was Ellen Page, Elliot Page, yeah. well, existed to just explain the plot, but that didn't bother me as much. I think because I was thinking, actually, I'm on board with this and I can keep up with it. I, I, I wasn't baffled. Yeah, so maybe she, she doesn't bother me as much as... First time Emily, around, Emily Blunt and Sicario. Yeah, that was a bit much. No, I didn't bother me too. I mean, she's, I, it's, 
I mean, Nolan Coult literally, I think her character's name is Ariadne. And I think Ariadne from, I don't know, um, as far as I know, was they led someone out of the labyrinth or something with a thread. So I guess the whole point is is a nod to the fact that she is there purely to kind of keep track of what where they are and how to get out, etc. So okay. I think you'll find that she led someone out of a labyrinth by shouting, "I'm not going to watch this; it's too sad," while holding a copy of Threads on VHS, oh, okay. and they just she just kept shouting it, and then they just listened to her voice and followed her and found their way out of the passage that way. Um, but yeah, so I, I wanted to watch Tenet because I was in the mood for that kind of film, and I and I put it on, and it, you know the, the basic premise is um, that uh, I actually I've got the main actor's name, John David Washington, is sort of brought into this society where if you cross your hands in a certain way and use the word Tenet in a sentence, people who are in the know will it's like a secret club where they they'll help you out on this mission to stop something happening that seems quite catastrophic and at the start of the film we're basically as clueless as he is he's effectively been killed and brought back to life and then told right well you've basically got to save the world now and there are this film just felt it was it it just felt completely misguided from the start because of course when you're watching a film like a like a cerebral thriller or an action film or anything where you're kind of oh what's happening here you know wh- wh- where's this going to take me that's kind of like for instance say memento um part of the fun is is working it all out and like seeing where it's going to go and if it's well written when that plot twist or that plot reveal happens you're still on board because it's half the fun you think actually okay i know what's going on and i'm, I'm still with it i'm having a good time but um th- th- this just seemed beset by problems from the off first of which was one it's not often i've an actual technical issue bothers me but i thought there was a problem with the speakers on my tv because when people were shouting it was almost like it was clipping and the only reason i'm quite familiar with clipping is because musician and i listen to a lot of you know i I understand how clipping works well you know editing the podcast for example and i thought it just sounds like it's it's just too loud for how they recorded it and i spoke to you and a few other people and apparently it's a known problem throughout all of his films which i've never noticed before is it this bad in other films no uh, oh this is this is bad right okay it's not no there there are uh, there are other films where it, it's not great but i mean they famously had to redo all of bane's lines in the dark knight rises but i don't know whether that was more to do with uh, his the, performance yeah whether it was to do with him being behind a mask or whatever because there is a trailer out there where you can still hear the original Bane voice. But yeah, this was particularly bad. And and I, like it, there are whole scenes where you just can't even hear what people are saying. It's like it's like the microphones, the boom is not close enough to them or something. I don't know. And then, uh, you know, if you if if it wasn't picked up live, then I suppose your only options really are to do it in post or to take a bad live recording and just like massively jack up all the levels but then that's going to sound bad anyway because then you get loads of background noise and 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 yeah you get that distortion effect i suppose but anyway bad it's just bad sound quality all throughout and i suppose if it's, it's bad throughout then the problem is you don't really then want to go and 
post up every single line because that sounds really terrible yeah it just it just sounds it seems like a very basic issue i mean i've yeah it's very you know i mean probably like some of the, some of the mumblecore films from the late 90s you know you could you can at least then hear what people are saying although i, I don't want to hear the words they're saying but yeah but i can't imagine situ- why that would be a thing though like why why could he not just get a microphone in in the right place is it because he's trying to get too much coverage of the scene so you know he's got to keep the boom out of shot i don't know how these things work really. do they even use booms anymore they must do i suppose uh, i think they've all just got like fisher price beige recorders that the actors just hold and then speak yeah. into it and they just onto cassette and they just cg it out afterwards okay. well, they've got those um, like multi like really bright gaudy like luminous um plastic microphones for kids where you like sing yeah. into them and it just distorts your voice so then you've got them. you've got some people with that and then some other people are old school with the Fisher Price things and then like action and then and then you can hear Christopher Nolan say, No, 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 you've got to press play and record at the same time. <laughs> not just record. No, you're pressing play. rewind it a bit. Not too hang on. Oh, hang on. Let me put the, <laughs> let me put a new ferric tape in there. One second. Yeah, I've got that's a that's a C fifteen, this is a long scene. I've got a C ninety on my back burner, yeah. Um yeah, so um there's no magnets on the set of there. Um <laughs> I don't want anyone wiping my tapes. Um so yeah, so the, the sound is a problem. Um, and then going through it all, there was just, I suppose, without like spoiler territory, I think the plot is quite complex. Generally, is quite complex. And and then you've got up and up until a point. I suppose the best way to describe it is the plot is like seemingly quite complex at the start, but then. John David Washington's character has is in this preposterous situation and then people will just explain things to him in like like a, a couple of seconds just say something to him in like a really kind of shadowy terse half explained way and he will have an absolute total grasp of what is happening to get to the next part and you're like oh, okay unlike us and then it gets to a point where you realize that oh actually the plot is quite simple and then it dawned on me that if these characters who are in in some sequences traveling together for a matter of hours sat down and just had one conversation, it would be very clear what they need to do. Mm. And, uh, and that bothered me a lot. And then um, and yeah, and, and then the, the whole thing about the, the, the way that um, it's all about, you know, just, it's not really a spoiler. So it's about sort of a, a time reversal um, and the reversal of entropy and so on. The problem with that is every action sequence is rendered either um, nonsensical or outright farcical. Um, two mm. spring to mind is one where they, they, if anyone is involved in like um, hand-to-hand combat, there's no weight because one of the per, one of the people involved is moving backwards through time while one is moving forwards. It just seems like it's like slightly sped up footage almost. Like there's no weight yeah. to anything. And then so all those fights just seem really clumsy and bizarre and like sort of oddly poorly choreographed, although they, they must be well choreographed to, to actually make any sense at all. And then you've got car chases where you've got like Robert Pattinson looking in his rearview mirror, like panicked at a car that just looks like it's like slowly reversing towards them. And you're like, it's probably panicked at the silk cravat he's wearing <laughs> bloody hell i just i just looked down what is that it, he has a jawline that man he does. um and then 
and then it it gets sort of um See, it, it, it moves on all, all, all these action sequences, and then at the end of it, I, it just looked like, uh, generally to me, I thought the the sort of main assault at the end is just a load of people. That it looks like they're just out paintballing, just yeah. like running through a quarry. And they're wearing like boiler suits and stuff. Yeah, I don't it know, just, I didn't it's, even just imagine it, that. No, no, no. It, it's and and I swear to God, it reminded me of the scene in Commando where yeah. he's underground looking mm-hmm. for Jenny, and they're still shooting at something, even though he's the only person. Because you've got people saying, "There's blue team, there's red team, go, go, go," and then they just start shooting like in into a quarry, and then and then like like sort of smoke puffs are coming up from the ground and it's yeah. like i can't actually see the enemy I, you just look like you're running towards like a load of boring buildings boring flat brutalist post-war buildings and shooting paint like this is and i just thought this film is is crap like oh. it, it it seems like i i don't know if we said this before but it seems like what christopher nolan likes doing isn't making films it's 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 making math formulas so he's like he's he's like sort of said right okay with Inception it was all about bending time and, and and you know dream logic and different layers of dreams, which is quite filmic and cinematic and works and is interesting and fun. And then he's like right this time I'm going to get something that you know it's going to be all about sort of the reversal of time and entropy. And then it's like on paper it's very clever and everyone thought it's Christopher Nolan. But then they started filming and thought this really isn't cinematic. This really that, that is the key problem. Yes, you're right. And and. And they just had to make it. Um, it. It's cinematically like redundant on a, on just on a basic technical level. Like, yeah. it, it, even once it looks a bit weird, but to craft a whole film around it, it just doesn't look pleasing at all to the eye, especially in an action movie, of course, because yeah. action movies are all about uh, kineticism and, and, you know, flow and... Editing. A sense, a sense of weight, yeah, yeah, and uh, that's absolutely. the other thing. A sense of th- people doing stuff to other people, sort of thing, and yeah, and that kind of dynamic physical interaction between bodies. But by reversing things, you're just removing those essential pleasurable elements from the action movie. You know, there's nothing visceral about it. There's no impact in anything because half of the people on the screen are like basically in a different universe really aren't they and of course because of the nature of the movie you see some lengthy sequences multiple times yes, yes, yes. so i can imagine that like it irritated me it's almost like it's like when those sequences were happening and it was showing it from a different perspective i could literally imagine um Imagine Christopher Nolan behind the camera looking down, like Forrest Whitaker in the experiment, thinking, "Oh my God, I've got a hard on. I've got a hard on looking at this," <laughs> and and everyone else is thinking, "I've seen this." In in a better, more tightly edited film, this would be a flashback where the main character goes, "Ah, oh, right, that's why that happened." It wouldn't just show the whole sequence in like really masturbatory fashion. And and the the other thing is, the main thing I mentioned earlier on about the the way that um. John David Washington is told that, you know, if you sort of um, cross your hands together and use the word tenet casually in a sentence, if the other person is part of our program or whatever, they'll they'll kind of understand that as the code word. What that draws attention to throughout the whole film is looking at people's hands and listen to what they're saying. So you're listening through really bad sound editing, which you're drawn to because the plot has asked you to focus on it. And you're constantly looking at people's hands to see if they kind of do that 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 joining thing. 
And that draws attention to how poorly edited all the conversation scenes are, where, you know, people's hands are like, you, you look at them, they're hovering near each other, then they're holding a glass, then they're holding a knife and fork, then right. it'll cut, cut back. And you think I'm, you're drawing attention to how chopped together this film is. Right. So and um, like yeah that seems like quite a key element of continuity just yeah and and like Faye doing what she does is hot on continuity and she was like in every scene she was just commenting on you know like people's hair people's hands and and I thought well I'm noticing that as an absolute layman bystander because the film has very specifically asked me to pay attention to it <laughs> um and and I just thought this just this feels like it's collapsed on every conceivable level um yeah and i just didn't enjoy it at all no <clears throat> nor i nor i so what's next with chris and nolan oppenheimer is out next year i think yeah well actually is it next year because I, I saw i saw uh, adverts for it when i was i assumed it was in the next month or two because i was in you, the cinema the other day and, oh yeah, okay i think it's going to be ramped up for next summer i would have thought um but yeah, so that could be at least that's based on historical events, so we can't bloody reverse time or anything. You well, that's the thing. It, it, conceit. You, yeah, you've got if you look at his his key films, right? Apart, like oh, the Batman trilogy is his own sort of thing. But if you look back at Memento, was the, 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 sort of playing with memory, and then you've got Inception, which is playing through layers of dream logic. This, which is messing around with time, it, it it's kind of like one man's version of the Marvel universe, where the scale keeps getting bigger and yet to less interesting. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Uh, although I'd say actually his biggest scale film was Interstellar, and that's probably my favourite of his. So. Does it, but yeah, no, I'm talking about things that piss around with the cinema in a meta fashion, yeah. like the mechanics of cinema. Does it do anything like that? Not too much. I mean, it's quite mind bending, I suppose. And I mean, it does obviously deal with stuff like black holes and things, but actually, it's pretty simple and and cinematic. And it it's, it, it, was, it deals with Al Cliver's charisma. <laughs> Um, and it actually owes more to like 2001 A Space Odyssey than uh, it's less of a puzzle really than <clears throat> anything else. Of course, he does feel the need to explain himself in great detail, but that's the way he does things. Okay. Uh, right. Okay. Well, I've I've spent the last week or so working through um, some special films, films <laughs> which have zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm going to go through a few of these. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing that you've done that again. You may have seen one or two of them. In fact, I know you've seen at least one of them. I'm going to start with one called Stratton. I don't know if you've seen this. Say that again, sorry? Stratton. No, I've never even heard of that. No, I hadn't heard of it either. And it sounds almost like it should, Stratton should be like a general or something. I don't know, but it's not. It's, this is 2017 action movie directed by simon west of conair and tomb raider fame oh okay based on a series of novels apparently hey anyway, stars dominic cooper um and he is part of uh he's a member of the special boat service um which i guess is like the navy seals um british version and he he and his group of diverse operatives are tracking down terrorists, mostly around e- Eastern Europe. 
meanwhile, they are doing the usual things of suspecting there's a mole in the squad. They get getting betrayed and double crossed. Uh, other things as well, like getting shot in the shoulder and shrugging it off like it's a dead arm in a playground. <laughs> they chase around in cars and boats. And of course, they never sit down in debriefings because everything is too important for that shit. Connie Nielsen plays M, but not actually M. It's just Strand's boss. And her accent, wow, it is from nowhere in particular. There was I read there was one critic who described her as coming across like a woman trying to put on a posh accent to avoid a breathalyzer test. Because... <laughs> Because it's so bad, and she's just such a weird performance, and like she's so obviously trying to focus on getting the accent right. It's amazing. As a film, it's not absolutely terrible. It's no worse, I would say, than the like cookie cutter action stuff you'd scroll past on Prime, as right. in the recent stuff. Um, you know, the ones with really badly photoshopped th- thumbnails, and it's certainly better than most recent Steven Scale films. So that's something. But it is really boring and hu- humorless, and I just don't really know who it's for because. Although it is focusing on the special boat service, um, which just doesn't sound as cool as Navy SEALs, but there you go. Um, this Stratton himself is effectively a rogue, really. I mean, he, it, this is made quite clear from the start when he's just telling people to drop hierarchy protocols and saying, oh, don't refer to me as sir and things like that. And then, so he's not, he's not quite James Bond. He's more of a British attempt at Mission Impossible, but it's kind of cheap. It's like a second tier TV show and I can, I'm all right with that, but it has to have some kind of style or charm or invention. It doesn't have that. It's very, very dour and self-serious and that's embodied by Dominic Cooper's Stratton character and that bleeds into the whole feel of the film. It's just so dour and it, it, so it has none of that like Mission Impossible absurdity where it's like, you know, really inventive uh kind of set piece this is basically a series of set pieces really isn't it also mm. of course it does not have tom cruise this is dominic cooper who is okay in a kind of i think i've seen him in bad guy roles before really but he, he just on, on on this <clears throat> wikipedia page he just looks like carl urban stunt double yeah he's like he's just no one really and he and, and you're his agent <laughs> <laughs> he can't pull off effortless charm and when you have to try to be charming, it isn't charming, as we know. But it's a really poor script. There's like there's literally a scene where two characters are sitting in a car explaining what Stratton is like as a person instead of like the audience just inferring this through Stratton's actual character, say. Um, in fact, almost all of the script is exposition, whether it is explaining what has happened or what should happen or what may happen or why people are the way they are and it makes it so utterly boring uh and the dialogue delivery throughout the whole film sounds like uh, like a line reading added in post or something it just it's it's flat it it really doesn't sound like there's any life in it in fact the only glimmer of life in it is Derek Jacobi who rocks up as Stratton's surrogate dad figure and he actually has a sense of humor and some personality, but he's in it for like five minutes. Um, mm. But really, it, all it does is draw attention to the complete lack of personality in the film. It It's trying to fill a niche where no niche exists. It it lifts 
wholesale from better and bigger budget movies and adds nothing and yes that is what canon and pm entertainment did of course but they had the key ingredient of fun and that is the thing that's really lacking in this is this an action movie which is no fun to watch they're not the worst but not. And this, but this, but so it's not—it's not like deserving of a of a zero, really. Well, I think well, this is kind of what I was mentioning before. Like the problem, of course, with Rotten Tomatoes is it gets zero because no one's actually saying it's a good film. But I would imagine that no one's saying it's offensively bad. It's just utterly mediocre. That you know, there are films like this are ten and penny. So why would you watch this one in particular? Like no one out there is a like a Simon West completist or that obsessed with Dominic Cooper. Uh and anyone who's obsessed with Derek Jacobi, this is probably not that kind of movie. I'm <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not Not the worst that. film I watched this week, but don't bother. Um I'll I'll talk about one I watched this week, um which which surprised me. So this is a film I've seen this is the third time I've seen it, and this is the Killer Elite. Um, from okay. 2011, and film the so, Cardiff. Film the Cardiff. So this has got um, Jason Statham, Clive Owen, Robert De Niro in it, um, and it's based on a novel called The Feathermen by Ranulph Fiennes, um, and it it sort of starts off with Jason Statham's character uh, and his mentor Robert De Niro, um, and they they're basically just meant they're in some, some country that quite frankly looks like it doesn't have an NHS and they, they're stopping a car, shooting a bloke and driving off effectively appears to be their mission. And they've got a team, including Dominic Purcell with a handlebar moustache, um, leather jacket, brown leather jacket, flares, constantly smoking fags with aviators on basically a man that I could quite easily be seduced by. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that, that happens and then Jason Statham shoots the bloke, stops the car, shoots the bloke, but then realizes that his child is in the car and it wasn't supposed to be. And it kind of shakes him and he says, Right, I'm out of this. It fast forwards a couple of years and he's living in a, a like a mobile home and he finds out that Robert De Niro, his mentor, has been kidnapped and he's in the he's the only way to sort of rescue him is killing these three members of the SAS that have murdered this sheik's three children and then he can as when he's murdered them all and supplied proof they'll release Robert De Niro to him it's all sort of shush on the shush and Mm. I've watched this film three times the first time I watched it I I remember just not liking it at all I just watched it thought that's not not really my thing Uh, and and the second I watched it I liked it a bit more and I watched it again recently, and I think actually, I think this is like a. I find this a very good film, and and I, and I was trying to work out how my opinion could have changed so much over just over a decade, and I think it's because when I first watched it in 2011, it was like oh, it's film the Cardiff, it's Jason Statham, but there are only really two set pieces, two sort of um. Uh, close combat set pieces, and I was no way. Uh, I, I'm a much bigger Jason Statham fan now than I was then. So yeah. I was kind of after that, after that, and then there were like, it's quite like you said, there's a touch of dourness to it. But and then I watched it again, and I must have liked it, and I enough to want to revisit it. But I think what what I've realised now I like about the film is this was made in 2011, right? And it's very physical. It's 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 
it felt quite short and snappy when I watched it. It is, or oh, it's two hours long. And I, it felt like a 90 minute in a really good way because it, the plot is set up very clearly at the start. He's got to kill these people and make it look like accidents and then supply proof to the sheik. And all the characters are like quite strong. Um, and uh, Clive Owen is really good as someone who kind of works for the Feathermen. And they call that because they have such a light touch. But he mm-hmm. just wants to get Jason Statham because he's effectively killing the members of his old squad. Um, and, and there's a lot of mo- sort of moving parts. And I can imagine why a lot of people, fans of the book, would, would be disappointed is because it's all about Jason Statham's character the film really and whereas when it cuts back to Clive Owen there's clearly like almost a separate film to be had about the 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 British murky politics of the time and you know what happens to effectively these retired SAS people who go into mercenary work and how it affects their lives that feels like a separate film that is touched upon but the main film is so rugged and visceral in how it moves forward and it always feels that there's a reason it feels that there's a reason for every line delivered and there's a reason for every action made and Mm. and i I just think that there's there's also humor in it as well it's not just like this constant unending bleak landscape um and, and yeah i just find it like a good action film with a bit of a bit of weight to it it seems like a, a role that um because i think around the same time 2011 would have been when jason statham did uh what was that film called not blaze um safe sorry safe no no um it may be what's it called it's a single british word and it had um that amazing british actor in it um, blitz Paddy blitz yeah that's another cracking film um and it just that's obviously a very very different kind of film but killer elite i think if you watched it at the time and you you it didn't click with you watching it now the mm. it's it feels very small scale and and quite natural and rugged and very british and it also you know we've talked on the podcast about whenever films are made in the uh, sort of made set in the 80s and it's really romanticized mm. and really sentimental um this really isn't and the only reason i noticed that oh my god this is actually in the early 80s is just because of some of the clothing which quite frankly i'd wear now and um because they had really shit cars and i thought oh actually this is the early 80s but it's not it's not like overtly pushed yeah it's just it's just like it was it was just a bit brown and gray so yeah the more i I reckon the next time i watch it i'll probably like it even more right yeah well i think i was kind of a I came in at phase two of your development on this, as in I thought it was all right when I saw it originally, as in not bad, but it didn't it didn't really resonate particularly. But I'm up for watching it again. I wonder why that is that it seems so much fresher and now maybe because in the intervening ten years or so we've just been the cinematic action the action cinematic landscape has been kind of overwhelmed by like ever increasingly large scale CG extravaganzas, I suppose. So yeah, when and, you go back to something like this, it feels yeah, and something even something handmade. like um, another film which popped up was like Hard Target Two with Scott Adkins, which I watched and enjoyed. Uh, that popped up in conversation this week as well, and um, and like even that is kind of like bright and it feels very American and you know brightly lit. But then this just felt it felt like a British film, and you know like you say, there's no there's no CG. These aren't these aren't heroes. 
they're just effectively people just like living their lives and getting on with it. And yeah, I, I really liked it. And I kind of wish there was a sequel because um, and Robert De Niro's character is like oddly, oddly charming considering the life he's led. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just I th- I think people should rewatch it if they're if they're after a if they're after a bit of a, a a gritty action film. I think it was a bit of a flop at the time, unfortunately. It was quite expensive. Mm. But also, I I also just assumed it was a remake of the Killer Elite Sam Peckinpah film from the seventies, but it's not. It's not. I, 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 it looks like when I was reading about it, it looks like he was kind of caught by controversy more about the the book because of yeah. what Randall Fiennes had written, and he, I mean, it, it if it is true, it's quite unpleasant where he was sort of besmirching the names of the dead and claiming the you know and just to, just to get a fiction book out of it, and you think well, you could have just changed the names really, couldn't you, and not claimed it was these actual people and would have just seem less hassle, but. Of course, I don't care about that, and I have no intention of reading the book. It was just um, just a good action film. This is the same Randolph Fiennes who mm. climbed Everest when he was 60 or whatever. Is he the one who was, hasn't got any fingers and they're in his pocket in a jar? <laughs> Probably. After yeah. climbing Mount Everest yeah. when he was 87, I'm sure. Yeah. Using his teeth instead of his hands to climb the cliff face. <laughs> yeah. Filed to points. Um <laughs> work um <laughs> right okay oh i might check out killer elite again where where is that available what's well, amazon prime can you imagine if, if you said to someone oh it's, it's really nice i'm really enjoying this date with you and, and before the dessert course turns up there's something about your your face that's just, it's just something different oh yeah my teeth are backwards <laughs> like, mm, okay yeah. yeah i'm not sure what difference that's going to make practically speaking but it's definitely noticeable <laughs> Um, I'm going to tell you about a film I saw on Rakuten, the worst streaming service. <laughs> it's called The Queen's Corgi. And I thought, well, you know, this is a zero percenter and it's you know, a time that we have to we want to feel close to the royal family, given their bereavement. So I thought I'd watch The Queen's Corgi. That'd be a perfect way of showing my respect to the late Queen with the second so this is a belgian animated film from a couple of years ago and it's frankly quite astonishing it is about a corgi called rex played voiced by jack whitehall the unfunny comedian who and rex is top dog at the palace this is an actual position so he's a top dog at the palace right then donald trump comes to visit Bloody hell, okay. Just check this out. So, And Donald Trump comes to visit the palace, right? And as a way of cementing the special relationship between Britain and America, the Queen basically offers Rex as an arranged marriage to Melania's dog, right? Now, Melania's dog then proceeds to sexually assault Rex. There's literally Mm -hmm. an exchange where he says, what part of no don't you understand? And she says, the N and the O. So that happens, right? Then she pursues him around the palace, cackling madly while Trump wanders around taking selfies, right? And Rex end up ends up biting Donald Trump's bollocks, okay, to end this whole palaver. This is the first 20 minutes, right? Oh, right, so, okay. In disgrace, uh, Rex and his best pal decide to escape the palace and go and live with the Pope, obviously, 
But in Windsor Park, literally around the corner, this friend of his attempts to murder Rex. So really harsh sequence where he's like drowned. So that's that. I'm not going to keep going about the whole plot, but it's just unbelievable. It just keeps on going on like this. Like Rex is captured. He's tortured. He's abused. He's betrayed. And of course, the film obviously has this very child friendly aesthetic because it's all cutesy talking dogs and stuff completely at odds with what is actually happening in the film. There's one scene where a dog, right, gets so excited by being stroked that he actually starts peeing like he's ejaculating. It's just unbelievable. There's a female dog that does a pole dance in this. And Rex Is this like an adult film? No. No, this is I'm swear wow. this is actually aimed at children. Well, there's no evidence anyway that it's in dog film, but there's this female dog that does a pole dance, right? And Rex falls in love with her. She has no interest in him um, until she finds out he's royalty. And then she self-servingly seduces him to get into the palace, basically. There's no emotion in their relationship because she's only with him to obtain a life of luxury, basically. And Rex's mission himself is barely more laudable because... Apart from anything, Rex is fundamentally unappealing anyway. He's pompous and self-aggrandizing and he's proclaiming himself to be top dog wherever he goes. So he's really unrelatable and it's not a great message for kids anyway. And he just wants to get back to the palace and regain his position as top dog. There's no character arc whatsoever. I mean, obviously, in the end, he comes to the realization that being top dog isn't the most important thing in life. But it's not a gradual sort of realization that actually... You know, it's not like he's gone through a series of events which have gradually taught him that, you know, being the top dog isn't all that it's cracked up to be. It's like he desperately wants that for 99% of the film. And then suddenly it's like an epilogue at the end where he's like, uh, you know, actually being top dog isn't that important. Uh, it, it's almost like a, a, an epilogue to like the catastrophic hell that we've just been witnessing before that. So... And all along the way, constant adult references, mostly sex based, but also like really unsuitable and dated pop references to stuff like Fight Club and Rocky and things which kids aren't ever going to understand. It's an unbelievable film that probably should be seen to be believed, frankly, but certainly wouldn't pay for it. So this sounds like a true not percenter. Oh, yeah. Like how? I mean, I should go and read some reviews of this because there must just because I guess different critics will describe different scenes and how unbelievably so tasteless and unsuitable they are. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, the, you know, if it, it if any of it were funny and it was sort of misguided, but wow, actually, like really quite adult and amusing, that would be one thing. But it's not because it's it is clearly aiming at children. So it's really stupid and dumb slapstick humour but really inappropriate and unpleasant and just a bit i don't know it just it just it felt like probably the worst film i could possibly watch in out of any kind of like respectful statement to our recently deceased monarchy like a load of like ejaculating pole dancing dogs yeah, that's probably not what she she would have wanted to be honest <laughs> that, that wasn't quite the legacy she wanted to leave i don't think no, she's probably would have thought preferred that you watched Endgame, not that one, <laughs> or that one. Um, <laughs> well, that, uh, sounds, yeah. that sounds so, dreadful. That's the Queen's Corgi. Quite unbelievable. 
Who voices Donald Trump? I don't know. It's quite, I seem to remember it was quite a weirdly accurate impression. I'll have to find out. I'll get back to you on that. But, um, yeah, that's that's one I'm not going to watch. Where did you watch that? Recruits in the worst. Of course, of course, the worst film is on the worst streaming service. It makes sense now. It's really the only film you can select. Um, did I tell I you that every time you go into the Rakuten app now, it only shows the free films? Why would that? Surely they'd want to. I don't know. I guess <laughs> it's really unhelpful because the only reason why I go into that app is because I get free codes each month through my bank. So if I can't find it on an, a good streaming service, I go to the worst streaming service on the off chance that it might be there. Uh, usually isn't. But anyway, so but I went onto the app thinking, oh, you know, I'll see, I'll see what they got there. Now, everything just is free next to it. So, of course, the only way to find the ones you actually need to pay for or have a code for, you have to type in what you're actually looking for. You can't just browse for it. Bloody hell. And I bet the search function is awful as well. Oh, well, I told you about how if <laughs> when, you, when you open the search box, if you I found discover that if you use the swipe function on your keyboard, then it doesn't recognize what you're typing in. So it won't find anything. So you have to type each letter one by one. And this is the one that when you when you went to classic films, it showed bullet in the head with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, like Casablanca, some like a heart bullet in the head. Brilliant. That film is racist. That is a <laughs> racist film. Except they were from Russia with love. Were you watching it and actually like inhaling through grit the teeth of what's being said? Okay, so yeah, that was um that was the Queen's Corgi, which sounds dreadful. And now on to another film that I wasn't enamoured by. This is Nightmare Alley. Um yes. Yeah, so have you have you seen this? I have. Oh, cool, okay. So uh, now, Guillermo del Toro is, I mean, ever since Kronos, we've, we've been in safe hands with him, especially when he's paired with Ron Pillman. Um, I remember reading about this a couple of years ago and being excited about it um, and finding out just before I watched it last week that it's a remake of a 1947s film noir. Um, uh, and it's about Bradley Cooper plays a, a guy who sort of drifts into a carnival uh, and works his way up under the sexy eyes of David Strathairn to become a, a sort of a, a conman and it's his mentalism and David Strathairn dies and he takes his book of tricks and goes off to uh, make his own fortune on it and I think what I found about this film was it it's very stylish and it's very rich, richly presented but it's kind of hampered by a really pedestrian script and and and, and, the, and the the plot points seem very sort of perfunctory so it starts off and you've got you know you've got Guillermo del Toro and he is in a you imagine he's in a carnival you've got all these freaks all these old sort of turn of the century shows there's a lot of for him to work with in his own wheelhouse and then when it goes away from that it just sort of the latter half of the film and it does take a while to get going is this really basic kind of um noir plot basically set in a handful of locations with people smoking enigmatically and raising their eyebrows at each other and it just felt really silly mm. um and it's to the point that even now i'm looking looking at it on wikipedia and i'm trying to i can't remember the fates of certain characters because 
I, I felt like I was always waiting for the film to take off. And and even as it reaches its climax and subsequent denouement, I was just thinking this the way this film has ended, it, it doesn't feel earned. And I'm not emotionally invested in the characters enough for, for what's being said and what is happening on screen for me to have any kind of emotional engagement in it. Um, and I don't really know... I don't really know what the point of it was. I, I, I've never seen the original. I don't know if you've seen the original. No. And, and I, I just thought, this just feels like... It doesn't feel like Guillermo del Toro. Parts of it you know, does feel like like his work, but it feels so generic in the, in the plot right. that, that I just... I was like waiting for another layer to appear, and it just never did. Yeah, it didn't feel like layers were building up. It felt more disjointed. It felt episodic, didn't it? Yeah. You think about it, like you got the, like half an hour this, or more at the start, really, where with the what's it called? The sort of carnival and the circus. Carnival, yeah. And then suddenly it's like a, a whole different movie. I mean, I I know it is relevant, I suppose, to what what the characters do after that because they're using that sleight of hand type thing in order to uh kind of well enrich themselves i suppose and it gets them into all sorts of trouble but it also felt like there was an awful lot of time spent (laughs) in that carnival for what was really just a bit of backstory essentially to what was then what was then the meat and potatoes of the film and i think it was almost like i was kind of exhausted by that first 45 minutes hour so by the time that part came, the next part came along, it felt like a different movie almost. It was very odd, very disjointed. Yeah, it, it just, I don't want to go into like spoiler territory, but it, you know, if it, it, you see someone in a film and they've given this characteristic and you think, right, so they're this sort of person. And then, you know, the rules of the film or the narrative lead up to them continuing to be that sort of person and then getting the comeuppance for being that sort of person you think well okay yeah <laughs> right well it's quite an entry storytelling isn't it really? yeah 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 i it just yeah i was really disappointed with it um and i'm just looking at this now and it says there's a, a a black and white version subtitled vision in darkness and light it's like who would why would that film need to be watched a second time especially yeah. because it was such a kind of muted palette in the film anyway. It's it's, it's not like it's going to offer it. It's just going to drain further colour. It's not like it's going to add anything. Um, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit concerning, actually, because I, I, I'm just looking at uh, Del Toro's filmography. And, it, I mean, he had such a good run, really. I mean, after, you know, apart from Mimic, let's not talk about that. But, you know, like, from The Devil's Backbone... <laughs> All the way through to Crimson Peak, and mm. they were all really good movies in their yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. And then The Shape of Water came along, and it was just drippy, sentimental mess. Drippy, literally, sentimental <sighs> mess. And then Nightmare Alley, which, yeah, I mean, it's better, but. Well, he's got Pinocchio coming up next. So that should be interesting. Uh, That's in the cinema, isn't it, now? Uh, no, you're thinking of the there's a Robert Zemeckis version of Pinocchio out at the moment. Oh right, okay. Tom Hanks. I watched. That's, that's going to be different. That is. Yeah, that's Disney Plus. It wasn't very good. Um, but. Oh, you've seen it. Are you reviewing it this week or? New. 
God, the fact you watched it and didn't bother reviewing it says a lot, doesn't it? I just, well, yeah, I mean, I don't really, I'm, I don't remember. I remember the original Pinocchio being scary and disturbing, and I'm not sure. I, I can I almost imagine already what a Robert Zemeckis version with Tom Hanks is going to be like, and I just don't think it's going to, I can't, you know, I can't imagine it would it would have that kind of like level of darkness or weirdness and lo and behold it doesn't so that was that was how I felt about it and it turned out to be true it's exactly what you imagine it to be very sanitized uh, very kind of plasticky Robert Zemeckis looking I want Robert Zemeckis to go back to making actual movies with human beings in it <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. so yes anyway <clears throat> where are we oh yeah oh and also Guillermo del Toro has got an anthology horror anthology series coming out on Netflix soon. oh right okay I'll watch that with my eyes then he I don't think he's directing any of them but it I mean the directors are you know horror people there's like Jennifer Kent um Babadook lady um mm. there's Panos Cosmatos the guy who did Mandy uh, Vincenzo Natale, the splice guy. So, yeah, some interesting choices there as well. Yeah, so uh, that could be pretty cool. So, we'll have a look at that, definitely. And that's out, I think, end of October, naturally. Um, oh, right then, should we go on to another? Just just for my own personal, so I know I've got something to do. Are we going to, so we tend to do episodes every two weeks. Are we going to say that the next episode is our Halloween episode? I think it will be okay. Yes. Okay. I think because by the time busy week, by the time I get around to actually watching something, it's gonna be October, and I'm I'm legally bound to watch only horror movies during October. Cool. Okay, so we'll say that the, you're right. The next episode is gonna be the Halloween episode then. Okay. And then the next one after that as well. That's um, right. Double, double special. Good. <laughs> um, right. Left behind on prime <laughs> i'm so glad that i get to talk about this again again did you actually cover that you may you must have done i must i don't think i so much covered it i just sat here rubbing my temples and saying jesus christ over and over again <laughs> which is quite suitable because it's a christian rapture <laughs> drama isn't it um so nick cage plays a pilot um he's struggling with his wife who's a born-again christian then there's his daughter who's trying to reconcile the struggles and anyway so while cage and a variety of colorful characters are in the air on a plane the wife and daughter are on the ground and then the rapture occurs which basically involves people instantly disappearing uh and leaving their clothes behind thanos style the clothes just crumple to the ground and chaos ensues and then we follow events in the air as uh <laughs> I can just imagine someone turning around and saying, That's bizarre, there's a pair of beige Cuban heeled patent leather high heeled boots with some like flared denim brown jeans, a cream jacket with massive wingtip collars, and a pair of aviators on the floor. And it's like well, that's bizarre because Dominic Purcell was just standing there. <laughs> Amazing. If only he was in this movie. Um, 
he could have, yeah, that could have worked. Actually, they, they, that's the one character they don't have on this plane is like a, an air marshal, or maybe they do. I can't remember. Um, oh, oh, even if even if it was just walking down the plane, pointing at like piles of clothes, and it's like guess guess the the actor and the character they were playing dressed <laughs> as as they disappeared. So they'd say, "Hang on, there's a thick like sky blue." deep v-neck sweater there so that was michael douglas and basic instinct but but over here there's there's like a thick black woolen turtleneck with a leather jacket that's michael rucker in the dark half when he was in the gym over here there's a a woolen tie which is cut cut off at the bottom to square it off that's david patrick kelly Kelly, isn't it i didn't think he got on the plane (laughs) <laughs> nice that was meta yeah. i like that anyway <laughs> what are we talking about yeah so okay so we follow events in the air as they're trying to get back to jfk and on the ground as the daughter witnesses the mass extinction uh i, I wouldn't say this film is like the room levels of bad i mean the writing does make some kind of sense sort of it's just very blandly directed and lit and shot and it's very undynamic and stagey not unlike the disaster movies of the 70s i would say to which it owes much it's very soapy like it has a glossy mid noughties kind of feel it doesn't really look like a film that's what i'm trying to say and the music <laughs> wow the music sounds like like you know those like royalty free filler jingles you sometimes hear on like on like a youtube ad or something like that it yeah. sounds like that I don't know if you remember this specific sequence as well, but there's even like royalty free music during the break dancing sequence because there's a break dancing sequence in a shopping mall where like it's just this like generic like synthesized drum beat. And then all these people are like standing around these break dancers and no one is clapping in time. They're all just clapping randomly. It's just bizarre. Uh, I do remember talking about the um, the, the, the soapiness of it. I, I remember it, it felt like as every scene started, it's like you could almost hear the director saying, "Action," <laughs> and and then they would like like go into the movement, and it felt very yeah, yeah very stagey. It's very very medium shot, yes. So ridiculous performance by Martin Kleber, who's a dwarf with a chip on his shoulder, and he just antagonizes everyone, including little girls. And there's also a conspiracy theorist. There is like this bottom line businessman. There's a saucy stewardess. There's a Muslim guy, there's a distraught mother, uh, a hunky hero. It covers all of the usual bases. I have seen the complaint about this movie that it should have been more of a parody. But I, I'm i not sure about that. I think it is actually pretty great that Vic Armstrong, you know, the stunt guy yeah. um, who directed this, I think it's pretty good, great that he actually goes for a wholly earnest kind of perspective because it makes everything actually funnier because i'd rather laugh at bad drama than not laugh at bad comedy if you see what i mean yeah i I think parody would have made it not as funny and entertaining but there is one genuinely effective scene where the daughter is walking through a hospital and all the beds are filled with people's empty pajamas that's quite a nice bit and there are some occasional moments of like nice moments of levity where like where 
someone suggests that the the people who vanish could just be invisible and this one guy is like mocking them for coming up with such a ridiculous suggestion but then he starts like quietly prodding at thin air to check out the theory so i thought that was quite nice little joke little visual joke i i i thought that it would because it was so it was so soft that's how i describe it, it and, yes. and i thought there would be a point when especially when they're on the plane they start having um like really full-on existential conversations and like really digging into into their place now that obviously the, the raptures very clearly happened quite early on but no it just like jumps between different groups of people yes, yes. effectively all wrapped in the same way just saying oh raptures happened yeah oh. and basically and, just really it's just creeping towards like uh so you don't believe in god i say like, well maybe i do now actually there you go boom done um so <sighs> Yeah, the editing is okay, I'd say. Like, because there are two concurrent stories playing out, and and I think this is paced quite well. They don't just knock the wind out of each other all the time, so that's okay. Cage is solid and commanding, but that's his character. This isn't like the bad lieutenant Nicholas Cage. Just, <laughs> could be anyone really. Um, I, my problem is really with it is is that if you're making a explicitly making a movie about the rapture everyone knows what that means so it's sort of like there's no real mystery there so you better make you you need to make the character dynamics really interesting or find a shocking way of depicting the event but this just plays it very bland and very straight and so the only enjoyment you could possibly get is laughing at the dodgy script and bad performances and bad effects but then the script isn't quite dodgy enough and the performances aren't quite bad enough uh, to make it that pleasurable what i'm i suppose what i'm saying is it's not bad enough to be enjoyable you know so bad it's good type thing so really what you have is like a final act which is just a bunch of people expressing regret for their sins and comforting each other very calm soft christian final (laughs) act should we say Uh, and i'd say the final 10 minutes is sort of tense enough it's sort of like a bit like die hard 2 really and reasonably well staged but but this is the thing isn't it that's where you that that's where like if it was a better film it would it would start that, yeah. that it, it would that would end and what the hell's happened and then the strugglings for survival or whatever and coming to terms with it yeah. in a in a tense arena not like sat quietly on a plane yeah. lo- looking at a pair of socks on the floor yeah <laughs> a pair of socks with some dust around them yeah uh, yeah i just it just felt very soft and i think even if i was like a deeply christian man watching that then it doesn't like you say it's such a it's such a basic like you know you know what the rapture is and it basically just shows the rapture and then a series of uninteresting people like coming to terms with it immediately after the fact so it's not like it poses questions that would make you when the film finishes turn to the people you're with and like strike up a really intriguing conversation you, you just turn to each other and say it was really boring and flat yeah it doesn't that's the thing yeah it's that softness which is a problem because it's completely unprovocative it doesn't provoke any kind of like existential like musing whatsoever it's just so played so straight i'm surprised there are no positive reviews for it i would have thought there'd be a few five out of tens you know like okay it'll do like especially for it must be christian outlets you think it would be like oh yeah that's up my alley but i guess not zero percent apparently well 
But I've never watched it again, and I can't recommend it, so I can't talk yeah, about it. I, it's, yeah, it's, it's too flat to recommend. Um, I, I watched a film, again, this comes from my, my brother Transvaal. He dropped it into my hands, 10 pence from a charity shop. This is Ulterior Motives. And I want you to type in Ulterior Motives and go to IMDb while I say this route, but if you wouldn't mind. Uh, you'll see on the cover, it says, You've seen Seagal and Van Damme, now meet the new contender. And that new contender is Thomas Ian Griffith. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, it, it shouldn't. Because it doesn't deserve to. Um, this is a, a film where... It's just a Welshman. <laughs> Thomas Ian Griffith. It's, it's Griff Rhys Jones' brother. Even though that's doesn't quite make sense with his name. So... I thought, oh, you know, I quite like these 90s um, action films, especially he's, he's brandishing a sword on the cover. You'd think it'd be martial arts. What this film guy, actually... Hang on, is that the guy from Karate Kid 3 or not? No. Yes, yeah, it is, yeah. It is. Oh, okay, that... Yeah. Well, he was never going to be the new kid on the block, really, was he? <laughs> <laughs> Although it is nice to see him. He is in, um, what's it called? Cobra Kai? Yeah, so it's quite nice to see him back. He, um... He is a bizarre actor. This film is this film isn't very good at all, but there are certain parts of it that are that are like quite wonderfully bizarre. For it. So the plot is right. I'll just spoil this because it's over twenty years. So the plot is um there's something to do with like a U.S. Jap Jap, Jap or your U.S. Japan trade summit. Says you're on IMDb, and this woman is a reporter trying to sort of break it. But she lives with her uncle and her uncle's clearly suspicious because she just lives in her uncle's house. And But we're constantly seeing clips of him on the phone, walking in, asking what she's up to. And it's very clear that he's like the bad guy, <laughs> because otherwise, why would we give a shit about her uncle? And um, so he says, right, you need to get, you know, you need to get protection. You need to get someone to look into this for you and find out what's going on. He has Thomas, Thomas Ian Griffith's phone number. And she goes to it. She it's a Chinese restaurant he's at, right? And she goes to him at this Chinese restaurant, and he's just sat in a booth, and he's got like a full desk setup, and with like little American flags, little pen holder, and like legal pads. And she said, "Oh, do you are you just here for lunch?" And he's like, "No, no, this is my office. It it actually works out cheaper to just like pay for a booth and order three meals here a day than to just like rent an actual office." And I thought, "Oh, is this going to be like a?" A little bit of a comedy. Nope. Nope. Just ridiculous writing for no reason. Um, and so he, he, he sort of, they try to crack this case together with him as his sort of bodyguard, but he's just crap. But the film never seems to acknowledge that he's crap. It, 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 so when we first see him, he's in like full ninja gear and he's breaking it at someone's house and breaking at the safe and he can't break into the safe and they find him and he just runs off. So then she finds him and he's being all suave, like, yeah, I can get this done for you. And you think, I've seen a proof that you're actually good at your job as a private detective, but okay. And then he just gets into a series of really, like, scrabbling, badly edited fights. Um, but the the music is bizarre. Like, it's actually quite good because it's it'll just be really kind of avant-garde, like, electro-rock doesn't doesn't fit the film but i was thinking that's quite cool actually so and then you'll have this weird ambient stuff for like the night scenes that again doesn't really match it but it's like quite interesting and then when the music when the fight scenes kick off i was more like into the music than what i was looking at um and thomas ian griffith as a person i made a list on my phone 
when I was watching that, I thought, God, he really, he looks like, depending on the angle you view his face and the lighting, he looks like a lot of different people, right? So yeah, I made this list of people that he looked like at various points in the film, and I even thought about rewinding and taking screenshots because I was so convinced. So in this film, Thomas Ian Griffith, in, in different scenes, looks like Michael Wincott, John Cusack, Martin Kemp, Michael Keaton, crybaby era Johnny Depp, Miles Teller, Anthony Head, and Scott Weiland, the lead singer from Stone Temple Pilots. And I thought, he's like a chameleon. Uh, you didn't yet, mention that he looks like the actor who plays Biff in Back to the Future as well. So yeah, now he. Does. That's what I mean. There's yeah. another one that I reckon if everyone watched Ulterior Motives, they'd have their own list of people who looks like it's bizarre. Like I thought, Jesus Christ, how could you look like all these different people that don't even look like each other? Um, and and it's wonderful as well because of course his hair's slightly too long, so it's like swept back, but it's like 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 a, like a, a popped up sort of reverse quiff at the back as well fantastic doesn't get dealt with throughout the whole film um yeah but the film itself is dreadful the best thing about it is he's played as this like slightly odd like shit at his job character and then three quarters of the way through we find out that he's actually working for her uncle um and he's like trying to kill her but it's it's you know you said before about with horror films when people act they act like they're in the film and they can only see what's viewed through the camera. Yes. This is like that, but it's like, it's like the director said, the director, James Beckett, don't know who he is. Um, oh, so this is the scene now where we find out you're a naughty man. So from now on, you can kind of pull weird faces and like look left to right and furrow your eyebrows and squint oh, at the yeah. camera. So it, he's just a totally different person from a certain point in the film. And, uh, and of course, because it's so badly written, like none of his, none of his ulterior motives, if you like, make any sense. Because otherwise, he would have just killed her from the start. Because she is the single threat to a multi-billion-dollar enterprise. So why would he like play along with it for any period of time? Yeah. The tagline for this film is: "In his world, brute force isn't enough." Well, that's not a bad Xbox game. I mean, I, I'd want another one, but... That doesn't make sense, though. Well, it could make sense, but he says, in his world, brute force isn't enough. So that's saying, basically, that brute force and, like, uh, uh, like physical aggression isn't enough. So what's, is it saying that, actually, now is the time for sort of sitting down and negotiating, or is it suggesting something else? Well, it is about a trade summit. Yeah, that's true. That Maybe. he personally isn't involved in. Okay, so basically it's saying that really the best thing for this trade summit to succeed would be just for sensible people to sit down and negotiate a deal. <laughs> and they really don't need Thomas Ian Griffith come running in and masquerading as a variety of different actors who don't look like each other. Um, there's, I don't know if I can find it now. There's, uh, you know, I, I found out something the other day. Um, so I can do this while I'm searching for him. I was looking at his trivia. He's aged really well, by the way. He'd be in the bar. He has, yes, yeah. He's aged really well. He does look good now. And and considering that for Cobra Kai, there was a lull in his career. <laughs> Here we go. A lull so about fifteen years. There was is it the trivia. What's this? Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. So this bit of trivia just tickled me. I've, I've had a few bits of favorite trivia in IMDb. One of them was. Um, Kari Hiroki Tagawa successfully marrying a 23-year-old Russian bride on a Russian game show. 
successfully marrying a 23-year-old hot Russian woman. Like, it's a challenge. But this one says, despite appearing much older and noticeably larger, he's actually younger than Ralph Macchio. It's like, oh, okay. Thanks. But I noticed as well, because I've watched a few Marvel films recently, um, the trivia for Marvel films is really boring because all people seem to do, and there's like 400 entries for every film, is just say things like, this actor has appeared in this many films with this actor, or this actor has voiced this many animated roles, and you think, is that really trivia? They're just they're really boring things. It's like they're getting they're racking up points for adding trivia to IMDb, but yeah. Right. So, go on then. Okay, let's continue this odyssey into (laughs) hell. Um, I'm going to talk about the ridiculous six, which is on Netflix. Is this the Adam Sandler one? It is the Adam Sandler Happy Madison. But I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine, so feel free to introduce while I do it. But I will say this, right? This is one of the very, very few films. And the only other film I've done this with was that film, not Wolfen with Albert Finney, where the bloke who was in Payback as the main headman, like above Chris Christopherson, I forget his name. He's got like Permatan. He was in a werewolf film in the 80s, and I put it on Amazon Prime about two years ago to cover in the podcast because I was in the mood for a werewolf film, and I couldn't hear what was being said and i couldn't see what was on my screen because it was such a bad vhs direct transfer and i i turned that off but i turned that off like after a longer period of time than i turned off the ridiculous six because i thought no no <laughs> so i'm really intrigued as to what you're going to say well, um, but yeah, i'm going to post this whole film please carry on so Adam Sandler is uh, White Knife, uh, who's a Dances with Wolves type character raised by Native Americans. Um, so this is a comedy western, by the way. Um, so yeah, it's White Knife. He has basically has superpowers. Uh, I guess taught to him by the natives. Anyway, one day his real dad, played by Nick Nolte, rocks up at the camp. Nick Nolte's voice, by the way, it's like a landslide. It is <laughs> rocks tumbling down a mountain. A landslide of glass. As well. By the way, I've, I've, if you listen to any long-form interview with him, his thought process appears to just be like the, the lottery ball machine. Like things just like spin round and fire out. It's just like he, it, it's just, he's going to be diagnosed with something soon, I think. Okay. Well, in the meantime, we'll just enjoy his, like, tectonic shift of a voice. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, he's, so his dad, so his real dad rocks up and he speaks of this great treasure. Um, but there are other nefarious gangs who are also after this loot, this buried loot. So Nick Nolte, he is then kidnapped by a gang led by Danny Trejo. And off they go to fetch the loot, the buried treasure. So Adam Sandler must basically leave his tribe, go and collect his five brothers and go and save his dad. Um, basically by going and finding the treasure before these nasty men. So the brothers are, so Adam Sandler's like this uh, Dance of the Wolves type guy. And then you've got uh, a retarded brother 
and you've got Rob Schneider with tan makeup playing a Mexican. You've got Terry Crews and you've got Luke Wilson and a fat mute. They're the other brothers. Mm. John Turturro rocks up in this film, by the way, as an English baseball coach. And I'd say that's probably actually the low point of the movie. I, it, it goes on and on, that sequence, and it's utterly, utterly stultifying. So, right, okay, one of the female natives in um, Adam Sandler's tribe is called Never Wears Bra, and that's the level of humour we're talking about, by the way. Like, mm. there in this film, there's an explosively diuretic donkey, and the same donkey sucks off a man who has learning difficulties. So that's... You know, uh, you know, there's there's a thing in like the the rock and roll scene, where like you know, or the music scene, where if you, you know, if you carry on for for, for long enough, you're like you're like a veteran, you kind of has been, but then if you carry on beyond that, you're a legend, sort of thing. Do you reckon it, it like Adam Sandler's hoping for that for his career, where like you know he started off and he was like this sort of young buck and he had a few hits, and then it was thirty years of complete and utter shit. And he's thinking, oh, but if I keep plugging in it, eventually people are going to reassess it and think that... Yeah, they're going to almost, like, it's, I'm going to be around so long, they'll be start having nostalgia about me, even though I'm right here. <laughs> like, live nostalgia. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, the, tr- the problem is with Adam Sandler, we've said this before, that we know he's capable of quality because uh you know he's done stuff like punch drunk love and uncut gems where he's very very good but he's just in between just endless total twaddle of course you don't know whether i think this film's twaddle yet we haven't got to the end of it it's it's true it could be amazing it's not so i suppose superficially when you describe that sort of that kind of humor i suppose the comedy is in the same farcical slapstick hyper silly tradition is something like like the zucker brothers or mel brooks i suppose but in this there's and in a lot of adam sandler's work there's this overwhelming like crassness and a meanness of spirit which was never in those other works really like i like very occasionally there's a bit that amused me like there's one bit where like adam sandler's taking all the knives from you know various places about his person and they just keep coming you know that's kind of like an amusing visual joke that lasts seconds though and i did Ooh. like the scene where they meet terry cruz and tiesta he stops them and makes an announcement that actually his mother was black so he's not actually white uh, like as if it's a revelation so that bit was quite funny um so yeah there was that but again you know in a sea of just just hellish oblivion then that those tiny glimmers of light aren't enough i and really just the general treatment of women in this film is particularly retrograde i'd say obviously not none of the women are allowed to be funny in any way and they and really they're just treated as subjects of male mockery and abuse much like the native americans in general in fact it's a film which is oddly coy with violence Mm. But utterly grotesque when it comes to scatological and obscene sexual humour. So a really odd mix there, uh, a really odd balance there, or complete imbalance, I would say. And it, it is so utterly, unbelievably long. It's two hours long, 
like there's even like a natural ending like a reconciliation scene and then the film goes on for another 20 minutes it's it, really yeah it's staggering it's crushingly unfunny and it's two hours long and it's unbelievably lazy in terms of its comedy and storytelling it's yeah you did the right thing and stopped watching I'm, re- I'm really glad because there was just something about it. It must have been you talking about the opening three or four minutes, and I just thought, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not putting up with this. I deserve better no. than this. I deserve better in my life. I'm a good mm. person. Because I sat through, I sat through Grown Ups One and Two, and, and, and I, <laughs> I, I, sat, I, th- I think it was before the podcast, and I think I did it to to, to just completely cement in my mind that these films were just a load of shit. Like there's something about like get him getting a load of his successful then. Yeah, yeah. Him getting a load of his mates together and having barrel scraping lowest common denominator comedy and just looking at each other and like pulling faces and laughing at farts and it's like, no, no, th- th- I'm I'm sorry. And then they got an even worse sequel out of that. And now it just seems like they've shifted that awful dreadful shit comedy to just a different time period and just tried yeah. to to do it again no don't care no. you'll probably do it in space next and it'll be the same thing people laughing at farts and periods and, yeah. like, no. and that's the thing isn't it it's like it probably will be in space and it'll probably be like a kind of it'll be like on the surface a parody of like um sort of science fiction movies but it would as you say it's the lowest common denominator thing where it's like such base humor that it wouldn't it wouldn't have any kind of like it wouldn't be some affectionate jabs or anything like that or references to to classic sci-fi or knowing winks or anything like that it would just be the most basic like oh i you know i vaguely like for people to enjoy who vaguely know the kind of tropes that go into sci-fi films and and that's enough and basically it's just a vehicle for like scatological and sexual humor in space and nothing else you know he's he did it with he's done it with the western uh he made a mockery of video games with pixels which is just utterly disrespectful to the entire realm of video games uh and yeah he just has to do it with some other genres next, I suppose. I'm sure there was a moment that Nadia for me was in, in one of the grown-ups films where they were camping or something. And it's him and like Chris Rock, and Kevin James, and they're all, and they're looking at like a woman in, you know, like in a like pla- plaid tight shirt and hot pants bending over in slow motion. And they're like, yeah, woo, check that out. And, um, and then they, she looks at them and they sort of look, look off to the side and start scratching their head as if they weren't looking. Of course, that joke goes on for far too long anyway, even though a nanosecond is too long. What is the joke that they turn away when she... That, that she they look and they're like, oh, we're not really looking. Um, oh, and and I thought... Observational humor, I thought, you are all millionaire comedians. You're not just millionaires. You're millionaires because of this. This is the level you work at, and you can you've comfortably made millions of dollars through it. And I just couldn't. I realized at that moment there's no God and there's no fairness in the universe. There's no there's no excuse for this. No one will watch this and enjoy it. And if they do enjoy it, they should have an IQ test, and the results of that IQ test should be legal proof that they shouldn't have the ability to vote <laughs> or have children. And you know. 
Nietzsche famously said, God is dead. He should have said, Adam Sandler killed God. Adam Sandler, God murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right. Anyway, (laughs) so that is on Netflix. And I think I think it was made. Was it made for Netflix? I can't remember. Anyway, but he ended up doing a deal with them. So they've done a deal with the devil. (laughs) Um, Well, on to anything that's better than that. Um, I watched anything then. Uh, Jackie Chan's introduction to the West, uh, Rumble in the Bronx, kindly oh, purchased for me by my brother Transvaal, who heard me talking about it on a, I think it was the last episode or the episode before, and he bought it for me off eBay, and uh, I watched it with my eyes. And oh. um, I was really surprised with this because, again, this was, I'm saying 98, and it was indeed, oh, it's 95. So, yeah, um, Oh, sorry, 97 in the United Kingdom, so I was kind of right. Yeah, it was when I was working in the video store. And I remember watching this and thinking it was really cool. And at the time, I would have been like 13 or 14 thinking, well, this is really cool. But I didn't know why. And over the intervening like 20 or so years, I thought, 25 years, I thought, oh, wow, I really need to get around to watching that again because uh, – not 25 years. I, I renewed watch the thing because I remember really enjoying it and I've watched so many Jackie Chan films since and I just want to know what it was that initially got me into him, if you know what I mean. And so over the last like load of years, I've just thought, well, it's his first, it's his first film in the West, which so is going to be like quite flashy. It's released around the same time as Mark Dacascus and Kandim Ardison in Drive, which is one of my absolute favourite action films. And I thought maybe it's just that Maybe it's that sort of Western touch, but using using like a really capable um, Asian actor who can do all his own stuff. But that's I've completely misremembered it because whilst it's still a really good film, it feels very Eastern in in its presentation. Um, okay. It it's it's not like a gritty version of of New York. It and it's and it's not like a like a mid budget western romp with an eastern actor in it it's it's actually just feels like like an asian kung fu film and i think that's why i liked it i've just twisted it in my mind over the years so uh jackie chan plays ma hong kyung who is someone a, a, a cop although it never really comes into play who goes to new york to visit his uncle for his wedding and his uncle is just in the process of selling his supermarket in the bronx to uh to a, a beautiful young asian woman and he's just there to see the wedding and just kind of help help the handover and he gets embroiled in this sort of gang violence uh you know they keep attacking the store and he keeps on beating them off as he sort of falls in love with this woman befriends a uh wheelchair bound child and also gets involved in a lot of like very silly slapstick comedy um and it, it's a weird one because the comedy is is very silly you, stuff like you know uh, the new owner who's a young attractive chinese woman will be looking through one way a one-way mirror at him and he's carrying loads of bottles of water and like tensing up and looking at his guns and she's like giggling really coquettishly and he'll poke his head in and sort of oh you can you could see me and i didn't know and he was trying to pop the spot and it's all very silly stuff 
and the um the fact that he gets introduced to his uh old thick coke bottle spectacle wearing uncle's new wife and it's like a young buxom bubbly black woman and but then it's kind of interspersed with as as we know from Jackie Chan these amazing action set pieces and mm. uh, and um and and they're so constant and he's so the physicality is is completely on point that it just makes the film roll forwards and it, it's just a it's just a pleasure to like watch him work and do what he does so you, you can push the um this the silliness the silliness and datedness of the film to one side but if someone had told me this was just filmed in like like in hong kong wherever i'd be like oh okay wicked because mm. it, it doesn't feel particularly american and um the, the the comedy is very uh very dated but he it's a good it's a good martial arts film and it's just i can see why this made people take notice of him because he's just so good at what he does i'm just looking at the director stanley tong 62 what else so did he, he do so he's a he's from hong kong so he's a like a Chinese cop. So yeah. I mean, I suppose that makes. It is uh, looking at this though, because so I mean, no, it, it makes sense. Yeah, it would have been. Um. Yeah, so he he obviously did a, he did Police Story for, uh, and he directed Mr. Magoo as well with Leslie Nielsen. He also directed or was involved as a producer in another film that Jackie Chan did, which I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to say different words with a different inflection in my voice. Um, speaking of police story, actually, I noticed that Eureka Video uh, just released about to release a box set of the original police story trilogy on four. The Jackie Chan. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, it's lush box set, and I was thinking, ah, uh, lush box set, loads of extras, four K. This is going to be expensive, isn't it? Sixty pounds. So. Yeah. <sighs> That wounded me a bit. I thought, well, actually, that's not insane, actually, because most 4K Blu-ray tend to be, 4K just tend to be, you know, uh, like about 20 quid anyway. So I suppose part of a box set, yeah, that's not bad. But I'm not sure. I I, I need to watch them first to make sure that was worth it. And there are only 4,000 actually being made, so chances of me getting another uh, one. If if it's the if it is police story, I've only seen the first one. Um. And it is it is amazing. Like the first film, mm-hmm. it's got this amazing sequence where he's answering lots of phones at once on like a rotating chair and the old school kind of beige twirly cord, cord forms around him and phones around him. And yeah, it's just really physical, like good stuff. So, but then four films of that, um, you'd have to watch them first. You're right, I think. Yes, yes, I think that would have to be uh, some example first. Uh, oh, so that's good then. What's the rumble in the Bronx is good. Yeah, and I've got it on DVD, so I can just give it to you if you fancy watching it. Nice, yeah. Might have to be. I'm, probably is not on any streaming service. No, it is not. That's why my brother kindly bought it on DVD. Okay. Okay, let's watch. Let's talk about something which isn't as good as the film you just described. Oh, okay. Uh, have you heard of a film called John Henry? <sighs> not the most interesting name. Is it? Either. Is is the cover like a buff black guy holding a hammer? Yes. Yeah, that buff back guy is Terry Crews, in fact. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I think I've seen the cover, but I don't know anything about the film. No, nor did I. But anyway, all I know about it is it got zero on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so you so, need to know. Click. <laughs> <laughs> so Terry Crews plays a tough mofo living in L.A. Uh, you say he's tough, but that's alleged. So we'll I'll get on to that. But so basically this young prostitute survives a gang shooting and goes on the run. She hides out under Terry Crews's porch and then Cruz and his father keep her safe, basically, from the pimps and the gangsters who are hunting her. One of whom is a gangbanger Cruz used to hang out with and accidentally shot in the face. Uh, so there you go. Um, actually, that might be a spoiler, but I don't care. Um, even though it's not even remotely 20 years old, I don't care. And neither will you. Uh, so... It's one of those scripts which is full of like sub Tarantino monologuing going on. One of them, and hmm. like there's this extended exchange about the possible existence of white bats in Honduras and things like that. Just go on and on, and you know that shit. It's happening right up to the final reel when the pace should be ramping up. No, you're just getting the same listless banter. And then you get throughout the film, you get the further like filler in the form of like these hip hop montage sequences around Compton, which could literally be music videos. They're, they're like that flagrant and that uninterested in moving the plot along. There are some flashbacks to John Henry's violent youth, um, including. Uh, that just sounds like a punk band. <laughs> including these unconvincing and pretty confusing VHS video camera sequences. it They do seem to suggest, though, that all of the interesting and exciting stuff happened back in 1994, because now Terry Crews is just moping around fixing cars and having dull, stilted conversations with people. The film is over-edited to hell. Like, it's one of those ones where it's like, you know, why have a cut when you can have a cut and a massive swooshing sound to go with it? In fact, the whole film is pretty confusing, like in terms of the way it's made, not just the editing. There's there's this one scene where Terry Crews sits in a chair, right, and lights a cigarette and the lights dim and then they raise the lights again as if to suggest a day passing. And then in the same shot, someone off screen says, deliver the bodies in 24 hours and just throws a bag into the frame and then and then the scene ends it's like what that could have been so much simpler why complicate things with just badly implemented style it's also really over plotted because really what from my description you know it should be a simple story of a good samaritan protecting a vulnerable girl um but it turns out into this kind of convoluted web of betrayal and deceit <laughs> nonsensical character actions it's got this horrible mix of mind-numbing hip-hop combined with wistful mariachi guitar music obviously mm. tailored depending on the ethnicity and gender of the person on the screen and, and you know just in case we don't have eyes and we really want to listen to terrible music from two different cultures the lack of tone control is the thing which really stands out for me because it's a film that will swing from irreverent humour to 
horrible violence to drippy sentimentality in the space of seconds. Uh, it can never make up its mind if it wants to be like a gritty portrayal of LA street life uh, or a character driven drama with quirky humour. Fails miserably at both, and it definitely fails as an action film. The action itself, like, it goes for style, but just comes off as laughable. And there's not really much action anyway. And Terry Crews' characters, I mean, I like Terry Crews. I love him. I could watch him in anything. But his character is so boring. Uh, he is a, a man who is scared of guns, right? Because he shot his friend in the face. Um, and he's unwilling to fight for like 90% of the film. So it's not even like you have a silent warrior type thing. He's just not interesting or dangerous. It occasionally flashes back, of course, to when he used to be interesting or dangerous, but you don't get to actually experience that. So, and then when Terry Crews does finally go postal in like the last 10 minutes, he goes up against these heavily armed gangsters with, yes, a mallet. He would die. He would get shot. He, they would shoot him from like further away than he can swing that mallet. It's quite simple. Oh, and the uh, the sound design is atrocious in this movie. Like there'll be occasionally there'll be like in a flashback sequence you'll hear like a line of dialogue placed onto the soundtrack for some reason, and and the only way I knew that this line of dialogue was actually being spoken is because it came up in the subtitles. Like otherwise I'd just hear a kind of vague murmuring in the background. So really bad there. And yeah, finally, and the the final fight is resolved when the bad guy trips over a garden hose. So there you go. It sounds quite amazing, Rupert, from what you said. It sounds it like is. something because is it is it so bad it's good? Uh, not possibly no so this is just, if i was to watch it where would i see it this is on netflix <sighs> not even prime no. uh, i might um i might have to watch that that does that I mean, was... it has got terry cruz in it and it you know and it is like sometimes just from doing some of the action sequences you're like what what why is it being filmed this way why is it being edited this way why is this happening and so i suppose there is some enjoyment to be gained from that it's tickling my biscuits a bit. I I know how many films have you got left? Sorry, that's it. I'm done. I'm uh, done with cinema for the rest of my life. I think. I, are you going to stick to the zero percenters? No. Um, I've got four left. Are we okay to run over by like ten minutes? Because I wouldn't mind getting through them. Yeah, sure. That's cool, is it? Okay, then it's not going to be too long. But um, the first one, I, yeah, I've got four left, and this first one is is Thor: Love and Thunder, which I, I think you might have covered this already. Have you? I think I did. Um, you did. I, I, I ju- it. Yeah, I would have mentioned it. Yeah, I just just wanted to say that, like, I as someone who sort of sporadically dips into the the Marvel and DC universes, this was just um, I, um, Faye's brother, who looks after our son on on a Monday, said it was just inferior to Ragnarok, and I quite enjoyed Ragnarok. I find it quite funny because I really liked Taika Waititi because he made Hunt for the Wilder People, which is one of the best films of the last five years. So, did he make that, or was that just a like a Kiwi film? I'm thinking of. I think he did, yeah. He did good, yeah. So I've, I think I've always loved him for that because it was one of my favorites. Um, watching this though, it just seems incredibly misjudged because Ragnarok was getting silly, but this just it's almost like 
the writers got together and said, well, if, if they like silly, we'll bloody give them silly. But we'll also throw in a load of sentimentality and cancer as a, as a spine of the film. So mm. it, it's like a really badly judged terminal illness and, and like how it's approached. Um, uh, Natalie Portman turns up as and just becomes Thor. And th- through a reason you think, OK, that's fair enough, but it's not really explained why she can just like suddenly fight, suddenly has all these abilities and stuff. But that's all pushed to the wayside by the tonal shifting of the film and how self-celebratory it is. I got the impression that as this film moved from set piece to set piece, the writers were like really slapping their thighs and laughing at like what they've come up with. Oh, this is going to be brilliant. And yes, seeing Russell Crowe as he is and talking as he does in this film is, is like amusing, but to not only give him an extended cameo as like the sort of centerpiece of the film and then set him up as the main bad guy for the next one. It was like, it's a funny cameo. It's not, Mm. This shouldn't be yeah. the centerpiece of of like the the whole next direction of this this series. I never even considered that they might be bringing him back to us. I thought, oh, that was a funny cameo. I like the bit where he like yeah. he like he dances down the steps in the skirt. That's quite funny. Um, yeah, when he sort of like dances and like lifts lifts it as yeah, it's uh, yeah again brilliant. Not not enough to yeah not 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 ultimate nemesis material <laughs> and also when you think about it like like his character is so camp and ludicrous and yet christian bale's character is so dark and serious it's just a weird combination and i think i mentioned that when i was talking about the film actually that it is like know, he's from a different film um yeah I, yeah and like i i think the difference between with ragnarok Taika Waititi didn't write that and I think that makes a difference he did write this like Love and Thunder and I and like it has the same problem I had with Jojo Rabbit where it's like that the joke it's almost like the joke is juxtaposing just these these ultimate existential horrors against his brand of kind of mocking comedy and I, I never felt very comfortable with Jojo Rabbit, and it didn't work with Love and Thunder either. It, it sounds like the problem I had with um, Ricky Gervais, the, where, where it's like he'll say he'll say like a lead up to a joke, and you could pause it and just sit there and think, what's the most unpleasant thing that could come next? And you can just guess the line, yep. and then press play, and it, yeah, and it's not clever; it's just like slightly unpleasant. See, also Jimmy Carr. Yeah, oh, it is the same thing. That's pretty much, yeah. Mm. With a but with a waxy, lifeless face as well. So increasingly um, yeah. lifeless as he gets more work done. Just it's, do you know, what? I've got so many like possible titles for this podcast, <laughs> and they keep pop open, pop open a word document. Um, so far, I've got what are we talking about? Live nostalgia, Adam Sandler, God murderer. Not ultimate nemesis material and increasingly lifeless. Um, so yeah, uh, so yeah, Thor Love and Thunder just not good and just yeah, it, it's bizarre as well because I've overheard I overheard a really strange conversation that was quite well timed a few months ago, where someone in uh, in my office was talking about how in oh, I don't even know what film it was, Chris Hemsworth is has like got a fat suit on. 
you know where he's like all yeah. fat and out of shape and they said it ruined the film because you know Thor's supposed to be buff he's not supposed to have a belly and 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 they had a lengthy conversation about it about how it like and I think god are you fetishizing these fictional characters so much that that that, that is like enough to ruin a three-hour film for you and and yeah so watching this I just thought this just seems like a lot of ideas thrown into a pot and like you say with, with Taika Waititi Hunt for the Wilder People was brilliant, but this it's like he it's like he's not he shouldn't be allowed to have this budget. Yeah. It's like it's it's like you don't need to be doing this. Um but yeah, I just it it was it wasn't I was watching it and I did not enjoy it. I was just shocked at the choices made throughout it, I would say. Yeah. Just thinking, oh, okay. Yeah. Um I also watched Furious Seven, Fast and Furious Seven. This mm. is mainly because I don't know if you remember, one of our listeners, uh, Utah Smith, said that he watched all of them. He was like, oh, you mentioned you'd never seen one, so I thought I'd watch all of them again. And he made a point that, like, there's a there's a moment in them that just takes a turn and it just gets stupid. And and it, it goes from nicking stereos and having drag races in L.A., in dirty L.A., to, all oh, right, now you've got to fly a race car on the moon to stop a nuclear bomb going off in a different dimension. Is that why? And and I don't know what that point is. I don't think it's this film. Um, But it, it does tickle me because, <laughs> like... <laughs> Kurt Russell turns up, but he's obviously a shadowy CIA guy, and he just rocks up to Vin Diesel, as far as I can tell, just like runs a garage or something, and says, oh, "What we need to do is off the books, and I'm told you're the best man." And that's it. Like they, they completely skirt around it. Um, the what's his name in this? Uh, what is his name? Why can't I see it? Did I write the, yeah, so Jason Statham. I thought he was in it, but bizarrely, he's on IMDb on um, Wikipedia. He's like quite far down the list. I thought, did I watch a different one of these? Um, Jason Statham is the main bad guy, and he kills like I think his name's Wan. Just mm. just kill just kills him, kills one of their main team off screen, and that's what drives the whole gang to get together and track him down. I have to say, this film is an absolute masterpiece for preposterous set pieces. The things that happened in this film, I was just shaking my head at the screen, thinking, "Fair play, there's no sense anywhere here." Um, is there a scene where they they jump from one building to another? Is in fact the Burj Khalifa or something like that? They jump from one building to another and then another, Rupert. Oh, okay. um, it's also the film that Paul Walker died during the filming of. Um, so it's at the end. This, you know, you can't really when someone dies. You know, I, I don't actually know why we died. I know it was a car accident, but. Um, you know, it's a little bit sentimental at the end where they sort of wish him off and leave him with his family in the movie. I I haven't seen any of the other films, so I don't know, you know. That, it was a nice way to end it as far as I was concerned. But, like, there were so many people in, these series, in this film that they don't need to be in it. So you've got Vin Diesel as kind of the mastermind, Paul Walker as effectively, as far as I can see, just Vin Diesel, but white. And then... You've got Dwayne Johnson, who was introduced at the start. I'm assuming he was played a bigger part in either the film after it or the film before it. She's just out of action for it. It comes back for a little bit at the end. And then you've got like Tyrese Gibson and Ludacris, who just spend most of the time bickering over earpieces, radio earpieces, like really bad dialogue. You know, just saying things like "just do what you do." And also, it does the the, the criminal heist movie thing of. 
they'll be in like a, a warehouse with a lot of cars around them. And they'll say, right, we know what we need to do. And then they'll clap and it'll cut with some like bad early 2000s techno. Mm-hmm. And they'll be in the middle of the heist with the heist is about to start. And then they'll be walking around, talking to each other, explaining what they need to do. And you think, yeah, you should probably have planned this out beforehand. Yeah, this would to be, be really, honest. They'd be really tight beforehand. Yeah, you, I, I wouldn't like try to wing it when you're there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's nice to see Kurt Russell in it. Tony Jaa was in it, but it was really underused. Wasted. It just, yeah, yeah totally wasted. And um, yeah, it just like I enjoyed it as a, as an action film. This is the exact film that if I was in my early 20s, late teens, I would come back pissed, pop up in the lager, and put on with a few mates. And it wouldn't matter if you watched it or didn't. It was on in the background, and that's where it's meant to be done. That's what it, that's the that's how it exists in my world. Okay. So this has got, this has got Jason Statham as the bad guy, right? Yeah. And he kills one of their mates or whatever. So what that means is that in the next film, he will come back into it and become their best mate and become part of the family. That's how they do things in the world of Fast and Furious. Yeah, because I was thinking this as I was watching it, because there's, is it Hobbs and Shaw or Shaw and Hobbs? Yeah. Because the one that you said was just all green screen. So, so, so yeah, he he killed one of them, and he, but yet him and The Rock are best mates in the next one, are they? Yeah. I mean, it's the way they do things. I might just, I might just not watch any previous ones and just carry on from seven, just because. Yes, I mean, I don't I think there's nine now. Are there? Good. Are there nine. There's so many sequences at the at the end of that film, right? Spoiler, but everyone's seen it who needs to see it. Ving, Ving, if I can say Vin Rames, then um, Vin Diesel th- throws his car through a makeshift ramp at a helicopter, blows it up with grenades, and dies. And like he's lying there, not breathing, dead. Paul Walker is desperately trying to bring him back and gives up. But fear not, because Paul Walker is trying to come to terms with his dead friend. And Michelle Rodriguez brings him back through the power of love, like it's Captain Planet and the Planeteers, and she's got her ring out. So he literally came back through the power of love then, through you stroking his face and saying, don't die is medically better for that like deeply wounded man than chest compressions and giving mouth to mouth. Good. Good. Um, and I think now that I've accepted that anything can happen, I'm I'm just willing to just watch it and just see where it goes. It seems preposterous. Um I next watched a film that I thought was called Chinese Zodiac 2012, but is actually called CZ12. Um of course it is. It's the 12 sort of um, points of the Chinese Zodiac represented by different animals. And this is Jackie Chan's, the last film he did his own stunts in. I would question that after watching it. And it's it's part of like three films, um, like a loose trilogy film, The Armour of God. So whilst it's not called Armour of God, it, it is Armour of God in 86, which I think I watched and discussed a while ago. Sorry, Armour of God 2 Operation Condo I talked about, which is quite funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that was 91. And now there's this Armour of God 3 Chinese Zodiac. And the whole, it's directed by Jackie Chan. And I think he got them in the Guinness Book of Records for having the most um, credits in a film because he's obviously starred in it directly, probably produced it, whatever else he did. But this film is honestly I'm going to keep it I'm going to give you this and Rumble in the Bronx and you watch Rumble in the Bronx and you'll think that was fun and kind of low budget and like quite 
quite well thought out and good stuff. And then you'll watch this and think, wow, wow. It, it, it's like um, it, it's like a different person directs every scene and wasn't told the genre. It, st- it, it starts off with uh, Jackie Chan, and it, it is quick, by the way. It's a long film, but the, the editing and stuff, it kind of gave me a bit of a hit. It's over two hours long. And he, it, it's, and it's, it's like some people are speaking English, some people are speaking in their natural language, and they're interacting in scenes. So you turn on closed captions like I did because I genuinely was struggling to work out who was saying what. And it only uh, gives you the closed captions subtitles for people speaking a foreign language. So the people that are speaking in Chinese and it's dubbed into English, they don't come up, and that's really distracting. So mm-hmm. you've got multiple ethnicities talking, and you're only hearing you know the 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 non-english stuff but then the english stuff is quite badly dubbed by with voices that don't match the people you're looking at so it's really off-putting um so i was watching it and it starts off with this bizarre opening sequence where someone it's a loaded it starts off in a load of uh what are they called like um what are they called you know going once going twice auctions uh, of these extremely rare chinese artifacts and there's four stamps and one guy buys four stamps and they say oh you own these there's only four left in the world and wrong there's only one left and he rips up three keeps one and then puts it up for sale because now it's like even more exclusive and i thought oh, that's a little little bit of a comment on capitalism there okay and then um and then it says okay this the the 12 kind of animal heads of the Chinese zodiac are scattered around the world and Jackie Chan goes on a mission to find them. These these animal heads, by the way, are stated clearly to be made of solid bronze. The way they are handled in this film, Rupert, I can tell you they are not solid bronze. They are polystyrene. Um, so he steals a couple and, it, and there's this quite cool opening sequence where he's on like a on a suit going down like a it looks like some sort of European spirally hill, uh, twisting hill, and he's he's basically a human rollerblade where he's just got like wheels all over him and he's like scooting in and around traffic. But it's very clear the footage is all like quite sped up, and so it comes across a bit Benny Hill. And after that, I realised that actually quite a lot of the footage in this film is sped up, and also. The pay, because they're getting back 12 heads, they've got to cover a lot of ground through a lot of countries very quickly. And, the, and there was a sequence, right, where, and I thought that was the quickest sequence of events I've ever seen in any film. Someone says to him, we need to go to this country to get it. They have no idea where it is. It cuts to them on a boat, and it's just him with like his crew, and he's looking through binoculars, but when it cuts to like a POV shot, it's like he's looking through an app on an iPhone on its side, but it keeps cutting back and forth. And I thought he's he's looking through binoculars. Why are you show me an iPhone on screen? And then he sees a picture of some rocks, which he makes someone draw. And then it cuts to them paragliding, even though they're on a boat in the scene before, like dropping from a plane on this island. And then it shows them like camping. And then it shows them in the morning after camping, having breakfast but like for two or three seconds. And then it shows them walking in these like O'Neill wetsuits with a load of advertising on them. And then it shows him standing on a cliff edge, looking out over at some rocks. And he says, oh, they look like the ones I drew. And then someone says, yes, that's where the treasure is. And I thought, fucking hell, that would have been a whole other film. But 
like you've done that in like under 15 seconds fair you play you. That up in a you really went through it and the whole film is like that they'll just be in it they won't say which country they're in or why they're there but it, you'll guess it's england from the accents and then you'll speak to someone over one line and they'll say oh yes my father um had that uh, brought back 40 years ago and he died two years ago and then it'll just cut and you'll just be like stealing it in the evening and you think i have no idea what's happening or where you are like this is so quick and in the end right after about an hour i just thought i think i'll turn this off because i don't know what's happening like i understand you get the 12 back but it's like it's so badly edited and the humor is so silly that i was just I felt like I was pissed watching it. I just thought, I, I feel like I'm going out, coming back in, and oh, it's, a, it's the sequel now. This is the second film, is it? No, same film, just 15 seconds later, and there's something completely different they haven't explained. Um, so CZ12, um, oh, by the way, there's a bit in this, right? I made a note of this. He's in a library somewhere in Europe, and he opens up a computer, and he says something like, and I shit you not, it's a 56-character password that's got, like, both numbers and letters in it. And then the person he's speaking to on his radio mic says, ah, oh, we didn't expect this. I have absolutely no idea. And then he, he, he sort of, someone comes in, so he hides for a bit, and he looks at the order that the books are laid out in this huge library. And he says, well, some of these books are out of order. That must be the password. And then he goes, and then the, the the cleaner goes, and, he, and it's even better than that. So he's looking around this entire library and noticing books. You know, if you imagine a library like size of Royal Albert Hall, right, all these different books, and he's zooming in and some are out of order. And then he goes close to the computer again, looks slightly above the computer, and then the books are all just there, in out of order, and he just types in this really, like, obscure, idiosyncratic password and just says, I'm in. I thought not only right is with that password you would not break it, but that didn't even make sense because all the books you were looking at are now suddenly like just above the monitor together in the right order, and you did not put them together. So I just thought it was one of those things. It was kind of like when I originally watched Vice with Thomas Jane. If you don't care about this film, then I don't care about it, and I'm not watching it. Um, so that was like bizarre. And the last film I have is Alex Cross, uh, which is a 2012 thriller, uh, sort of, a, I guess, like a, based on one of the books that, um, you know, the films from the 90s, Along Came a Spider with yes. Morgan Freeman, yeah, um, and Kiss the Girls. James Patterson? Uh, are they James Patterson? Yes, they are, yeah, based on the Cross books by James Patterson. Yeah. I've read a couple of those. They f- is, are the books good? I imagine they could uh... be page turners i mean one was called rose oh. red and the other one was called violets of blue oh they can fuck off then i'm not i'm not putting up with that <laughs> um, did, was they, every... they were very functional uh yeah this is the make or this is the make or break right this is the question i always ask when someone says it's a good book is every chapter a cliffhanger uh Honestly, it's been like literally about 15 years since yeah. I read That it. is always a problem for me when it's like you, you could just write properly. You don't have to like you don't have to keep enticing me with a sweet like I'm an excitable child. You could just write a good book and I'll want to read it. I don't I mean, need they, 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 I remember there being like books which felt like movies as in almost felt like someone was writing a script just with a lot of directions in it. 
it was that kind of thing. So I can see why they were made into movies. I mean, it's quite uh, far-fetched perspective on detective work. I remember that. An extremely far-fetched perspective <laughs> on detective work, Rupert, as this film will attest, because Kiss the Girls and uh, Along Came a Spider, uh, because that's got Michael Wincott in it good. Films I've watched quite regularly, I'd say, as in every like four or five years, I'll watch them and and um, they're just good fun to watch because of the actors in them and, and the acting. In this, you've got like um, Matthew Fox, who bizarrely has lost like a lot of weight. He's completely transformed because I recognised him, but I couldn't place him and I realised he was the bloke in Lost. And Tyler Perry, I don't think I've come across before. Yeah. Edward Burns, Edward Whispering Burns, the man from, it's all confidence, it's just confidence. Um, watching this, you know, you said, um, you mentioned a film earlier on where someone is like a detective and there's no like real evidence of it. Or, or you said there was people describing his talents, but we're not actually yeah, privy to them ourselves. There's a bit in this, right, where, like, and it, it happens a few times, an eye-rolling amount of times, where, you know, Tyler Perry's Alex Cross is, um, at one, you, you see him at the start, and his wife walks in and says, oh, guess what news I've got? And he reels off a load of, like, sub-Sherlock Holmes stuff. So like, you obviously had a coffee because you've got a bit of milk on your tit and stuff like that. It's like, okay, not really detective stuff. And then he says, oh, blah, 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 blah. And then he ends the sort of um, paragraph with, oh, yeah, and sonogram and our printer. And she pulls it out and holds it up and says, oh, is that ours? Are we having another baby? And I thought, hang on, you're a crack detective and you yeah. cannot tell your wife is at least three months pregnant. And then and then, and then, then later on, uh, Edward Burns, who's his partner, says, you know, you've got to be careful with this guy. He can tell you if I'd scrambled eggs for breakfast at 100 yards. And I thought, I wouldn't mind seeing some evidence of this at some point. As opposed to other people saying, honestly, mate, you can fucking drink 40 pints and you won't spoo. But, meh, again. Um, and there's a bit in this where I think, is it John Renault or is it Richard Jenk? Uh, John C. McGinley comes in and says to him, we need to know some information about this Picasso killer. We need to, what do you know so far? And I shit you not, right? Alex Cross turns around and like raises an eyebrow and looks out of the window and just like lists information as if he is Juliet uh, and uh, Romeo's outside, like sort of staring back at him with the arm outstretched from the garden. And I thought, what a crock of shit this film is. Like, what a load of lazy bollocks. Because when you're watching a film where there's like a crack detective in it, it should all be like implicit in the in the in the script and in the actions that like you shouldn't have to be told how impressive they are, but yet irritated by them every time they're on screen. Yes. Um. Yeah, I just, I, I again, I got about an hour and 70 minutes and thought, oh, Jessica, I can't be bothered for this. But I will say Matthew Fox is dedicated. He is he dedicated to his Matthew. role. Yeah, and it was, and I, and I kind of wish that the rest of the film upped the ante as much as he did. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't find Tyler Perry particularly engaging as an actor. I know I, I think he's more of a director and producer, to be honest, but... I see. I don't really know him from. Um, oh, by the by the way, before I forget, Thor: Love and Thunder with the Guns N' Roses soundtrack. Jesus Christ! Jesus Christ! It wasn't just like used every now and again. It's constant. And I thought, look, I've played Burnout Paradise. I know how irritated I get when Guns N' Roses are on soundtracks. I don't need it stretched out for an entire film. 
And also I saw Crown of Exile and Thomas Jane, which wasn't the best period drama I've ever seen. They just seem to be wearing modern clothing and speaking in modern slang. So I've not heard of Crown, but maybe I mean, next time you could describe it in great detail, perhaps. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. I'll, I'll watch it again. I mean, I, we just watched it this week, but I'll, I'll check on again and see what it's like. I think it's a horror or something. Um, so, movie of the week. Well, I, I just watched a load of crap, didn't I? But if I was right, to see, choose... see you next time. <laughs> I mean, The Queen's Corgi, every time I just... It's like a fever dream, that movie. Terrible, mind. Um, I, I've got to say, I mean, Left Behind was probably the most bearable of the films I saw, but it was also pretty mediocre. So if you have to watch one of them, probably, probably Left Behind, which is saying something, frankly. Christ, the fact that that's your film of the week. I know, it's so depressing, isn't it? I mean, The Queen of Corgi was just the most unexpected film, but please don't watch it. Okay, um, I'm just looking at making notes for the Arkansas, but um, I mean, I, yeah, I watched this and well, I I, I really like Rumble in the Bronx, um, and but I think my film of the week is going to be Killer Elite because yeah, it really does feel a film that rewards upon repeated views, and and saying it now, I think yeah, I could watch that tonight. After this, I could quite comfortably watch it again and get more from it, I think. So Killer Elite is my film of the week, um, which is a better film than Left Behind. Um, the Arkansas, Rupert. Yes. I want to get Dominica Purcell in there. Okay. So, so you can choose the other person. Uh, what are the rules? Does the other person have to be... Uh... You know, it used to be like male to female, but I think that was when I did it myself and I planned it. Now I quite like just on the cuff, so you, it can be okay, male or so female. Off the cuff, Dominic Purcell to John Turturro. Oh, nice. That's quite nice, actually. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I over the last period, I watched some pretty uh, eclectic films, just, you know, whatever sort of captured my imagination. Um, what do you think? You, so it's going to be horror for you now, isn't it? I think so. I think it's got to be. Yeah, I've um, and, and just a lot, of horror, a lot of modern horror I've got to catch up on as, as well. So yeah, um, there's a lot of gold out there. It seems. Yeah, yeah. there is. There really is. Definitely going through a renaissance, and I've got to, I've got like five Thai West films to watch. So <laughs> I. I, I I will yeah. say that um, just to let the the listeners know that the next episode will be on our, 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 an early official Halloween episode, and it'll start off with uh, our yearly sort of horror story, and then it'll just seek naturally into the episode. But yeah, just let never know that that's coming. Excellent. What were, were you going to say? Something? Sorry. Uh, only going to express my undying love for you and everyone. Oh. It's quite all-encompassing, really. Yeah, it is really. I could have just said everyone, and then that would have included you. But what I'm talking about is you and everyone who's listening. Anyone outside of that, (laughs) let them be taken by the rapture. That's what I say. Uh...